1: The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ
0: Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast. We are back. BJ Armstrong, LA, Eric Newman, New York. Um, If I start talking about the election right now, it'll never end. But it's good to see your face, my friend. Uh, It's been quite a week. Got two things to go over with you topic-wise before we get to our guest today, but um, one thing I need to talk about quickly, I texted you this the other day, it happened yesterday, I got to sit down face-to-face with the one and only Isaiah Thomas yesterday, BJ, and it was awesome.
2: Yeah, you texted me that, and you said number 11, I wasn't aware, and- number Eleven. Number 11. I should have. I wasn't in my Detroit state of mind. And he's one of my all-time favorites, especially as a smaller guard and a very difficult player to have to defend, I can attest to you. And he is, you know, he he was a marvelous, marvelous basketball player. And, you know, it's been interesting to watch you know, what he's done after his career. And now he's going on to, he's an entrepreneur. He's in a little bit into this, into that. He's on TV. He seemed like he's on every podcast available. He's just everywhere. So I shouldn't have been surprised when you said you were interviewing Isaiah Thomas. It was just a matter, of, only a matter of time. And uh, what a great guest.
0: Incredible. Uh, we got to get him on the show. He's a busy guy, but I'm going to drop, you yeah, know, I already dropped your name. So we should yeah, do yeah, it. please do. But, draw, just drop yeah. d- my name. I, d- I already dropped your name, but uh, he had a big smile on his face when I told him we do the show together. But aside from his historical place in the game as a leader, as a champion, as an all-time great point guard, him as an insightful, historic storyteller, I never knew the depth there because when he's on TV doing the NBA stuff, it's mostly about the here and the now player and team analysis. And then he'll mix in some stuff from his experience. But obviously the scope of this interview was, you know, uh, about KG and and the project that I'm working on there. So there's a, a deep Chicago tie. And some of the stuff he was giving me, I mean, I, I'm so excited to go back and watch it and review it. I mean, it was just, just pure gold. And, um, you know, listen, we talk all the time. We do this show. You have had endless relationships and conversations with players of that era and before where you really get to know them and know their experiences. And now that I'm starting to go down that path through filmmaking, the, the wealth of knowledge that these guys have and their uh, viewpoints on things are, are truly fascinating. So um, just wanted to pay that the proper respect and, and share that with you today, because I felt like, forget that I got great stuff for the film. Like I got educated on some stuff yesterday and it was pretty cool. And well, that's um, he, he's yeah, that's, beyond impressive.
2: That's what Isaiah does. He's, he's one of the all time greats, very cerebral player when he played, understands the game and he's a historian and he respects the game those that came before him you know and as he you know talks about the game now the current players there's a huge respect and love and passion that he has for the game and I think that came across the way he played you know he played the game with a certain level of intensity you know when you look at his career one of the things that's always stood out to me you know, and watching his career and what he was able to achieve was he not only played against some of the great players, the Larry Bird's, the Magic Johnson's, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, Julius Irving's, Michael Jordan's, you know, he beat those guys. He beat those guys in high pressure situations. You know, he beat Larry Bird. He beat Magic Johnson. He beat Michael Jordan and he played and he left it out there and he made a mark. As a little guy, he was perhaps and maybe the only little guy that this league has seen where they actually built a team around him, and he was able to achieve at that level of excellence. Yeah, and you can argue I mean, now, Steph Curry.
0: That was and, that was what I was going to say, but until yeah, Steph, but I, Isaiah Thomas,
2: you know, you actually to build a team around a little guy in that era, okay, in that era where it was clearly a dominated league by bigs and you built a team around the bigs and you built from the inside out. Then along came Isaiah Thomas and then came Michael Jordan. So Isaiah Thomas is a true, you know, he's a trailblazer in many regards for especially us little guys who played because he not only could score, he could lead, he could distribute, he could defend. And and most importantly, he had great leadership and, uh, You know, he was the leader of the bad boys. They were a tough group group. They had a true identity and he, you know, what he was able to achieve growing up in Detroit. I always share this story. I played in Chicago, but when we played against those Detroit Pistons teams, my family would disown me, (laughs) but you know, they was, we all, we bleed Detroit sports up there and the bad boys, were the bad boys, they gave, they made Detroit proud. And I definitely understand that. And I'm very appreciative of that. I've I've grown up a Pistons fan myself. George Blaha, the Detroit Pistons, you know, and when I went on to play and I was fortunate enough to play, it was a a thrill to be able to play against my hometown team in the playoffs in a high-pressure situation.
0: What I think gets lost in history with Isaiah regarding the Pistons and correct me if I'm wrong, there was not really uh, any consistent success or really a Piston's NBA identity until they drafted them in 1981, correct? I mean, they had some good players in the 70s that came before, but there's no, there's no, there's no real Detroit Piston identity until Isaiah Thomas arrives, correct?
2: Well, for us who grew up in Detroit, we would argue differently. You know, We had Bob Lanier. We had Dave Bean. Yep. Chet Walker, you know, we, we, you know, Marvin Bad News Barnes, Eric Money, we had ML Carr, you know, ML we had Carr. Kent yeah. Benson. No. We had players, Kelly Tripuka, you know, but Isaiah was a player who clearly took us over the top. And then when we added Joe Dumars to the mix, now you solidified your backcourt to where you not only could play on one side of the ball because we could score, but we could defend. And I say, yeah. we because that's, I mean, they, that's how you played basketball in Detroit. You know, it was tough. You, you, you hold, you grab, you played through contact the Pistons. If they say, if you built a team with the identity of the city in mind, well, the bad boys and the city of Detroit, that was a match made in heaven. And that's how you played basketball. That's how we played in high school. You know, we played like the bad boys. <laughs> that's what we tried to do in uh, growing up in that time.
0: Unless you've studied the doc or lived through it, I think people forget how they put the team together. And you just dropped in Dumars, which was, I believe, the 85 draft. They get Lambe- Lambeer from Cleveland. They get Mahorn from Washington. They get Dantley from Utah. Utah yeah, I think Utah or or, yeah, or did, he Utah, go, yeah. did he go? Did he go somewhere else already. between Utah and and yeah, remember, Detroit, yeah, I'm not we,
2: sure. Yeah, but we get but, AD.
0: And then they draft Rodman and they draft Sally. And it's a it's a really interesting team construction because. You know, we talk about it all the time, draft versus trade versus free agency. Obviously, in that era, free agency was minimal compared to what it is today. And, you know, trades, I think, were, um, how should I put it, uh, less covered, less dramatic, and maybe smaller deals. But um, the construct of that team and how it ultimately worked out is, is truly remarkable, considering yeah. the talents and the time period.
2: You know, the one thing that's interesting about about building a team, I think today's executives have the most difficult out of any era to build a team. And the reason I say that is because today's player is more inclined to leave than they – when I say today's player, the star player is more inclined to leave than at any point that I can recall in the history of the NBA, and for the most part, when you look at the construction of these teams, these championship caliber teams, they've all have one thing. and They have one common denominator, which is you have to draft this great player. That's yeah. the one common denominator. You know, you draft an Isaiah Thomas, you draft a Michael Jordan, you draft a Magic Johnson, you draft a Larry Bird, you draft these players. And... Once you draft that player, then you figure out whether that's through free agency, through trades, or most importantly, you hope that these players improve from within to develop to get to that championship caliber level. You know, you draft, you know, the Golden State Warriors to me are the one team in this modern era that have done it better than anyone else. They drafted not one, not two, but three all-star players. And because of the way that the contract situation works under this new collective bargaining agreement, that in my opinion is the only way you can have a sustained level of excellence and build a team if you draft a Steph Curry, if you draft a Clay Thompson, if you draft a Draymond Green, and then you can sprinkle in the pieces, you can sprinkle in the Andre Igadala, you can sprinkle in getting players, Sean Livingston. If you hit it just right, which, cause you need some luck, maybe you can get a Kevin Durant, but everything just has to come together, but it can't come together financially under the construction of the way it's constructed under the collective bargaining agreement, unless you draft these players. And I say that is because when you're building these teams and we talk about trades and we cover the trades, it's very rare that you can actually trade for a player and then begin to build around that trade. The trade only enhance or only enhances that.
0: Yeah. Uh, besides the Raptors last year, Lowry wasn't drafted there. Kawhi wasn't drafted there. Gasol Obaka wasn't drafted there. Obviously, Siakam was, Van Fleet was. So they were keys, but not the ultimate star. You look at Warriors. Okay, Cavs, LeBron left and came back. So the the Kyrie Foundation, was there. Kyrie was, Kyrie was, drafted, was there. And the drafted. LeBron Foundation is there. And then, obviously, the Spurs with Duncan. The Heat with Dwayne Wade and then adding LeBron. The Celtics had Paul Pierce and added to it. The Lakers, of course, with Kobe Bryant. The Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki. Um, The first rendition of the Heat, of course, would be Wade. The Pistons is interesting because those guys were added uh, as a core piece by piece. And Mm -hmm. then figured out to win it. So I think they're an exception to the rule. But, yeah, uh, just going back in history. Then you have the three Pete Lakers. And then Spurs with Robinson and Duncan. And on it goes back in time. So, yeah, Yeah. Jordan, Elijah Wan, Bird, Magic, Isaiah. There it is. So
2: that's – to me, that's what made Toronto so unique. Because suddenly now it's kind of like it was like – it was kind of like a gap year where you say you make a trade and you make a trade with the idea that if it doesn't work, it'll free up cap space and you move on and suddenly they win a championship. No one has never done that before. Yep. The Pistons, what the Pistons were able to do under Joel Dumar's leadership was one of the great, to me, in modern era to how to build a team because the only player that was drafted there, that was in their starting lineup, was Tayshaun Prince. Yep. For them to go to the conference finals five or six years, constructing a team under these circumstances. But Eric, here's the, here's the caveat to all of this. Joe Dumars, Joe Dumars and company never, ever paid a player the max during that entire period in a small market. So he was able to have success, get players to come buy into what they were doing, paying at market value, compete with a sustained excellence, not just a one-year deal like Toronto did. Toronto got there and then, no, they were getting to the conference finals every year. For a five or six year period. They basically did what the Warriors did. <laughs> you know, they were there and give or take, you know, they won. Mm-hmm. I think they got to the finals twice. Got arguably. to the finals
0: twice. They won they, they won, won one won championship. Once. And from 03 to 08, they were in the conference finals every year.
2: That to me is one of the great runs that you've had without a max contract. Think about that, Eric. Without yeah. a max contract. And no one talks about that. Now you're talking about Analytics. You talk about (laughs) looking at the numbers and figuring out how the productivity of building a team. Well, that to me is a an era that we should really study because those two franchises, what Toronto did to me is just that's just insane to make a trade, win the finals in one year, player only stays up there for one year. That's just that's insanity. But what Joe Dumars was able to do is like, this isn't luck. We know something. And he went out and got Chauncey Billups. He traded, he loses Grant Hill, which was a top five player at the time. And he gets back Ben Wallace. Like, none of us saw that coming.
0: Yeah, nobody knew. And then I believe Jerry Stackhouse led the league in points. And he trades him to Washington for Rip Hamilton, who fits perfectly with Billups. Wallace becomes this just out of nowhere monster defender and rebounder. They draft Tayshon, and, of course, they then make the deal for Rashid during the championship season. And, you know, some would say, okay, well, they could have had Carmelo Anthony if he took him. Obviously, could have taken him instead of Darko. So still, even with that, as you like to say, scouting error, um they still you haven't had. scouted until you've made a mistake <laughs> i literally think scouted. about it every day i think about the line every day every day but no you're right it's it's an extremely interesting construct and um yeah no for so i don't know if you watched the rip hamilton um all the smoke episode we uh recorded in the spring he gives great insight to how the team together it came together and his Journey from Washington to Detroit, so I was just going back into some of that stuff, putting some compilations together, and and Rip is a wealth of stories from his uh, high school days, uh, uh, playing against Kobe, AAU with him, and then of course UConn and uh, and in the league. So, uh, yeah, it's it's and, and there's and what's interesting is talking about that iteration of the Pistons and Dumars constructing it and there are some similarities to the bad boys teams uh in many many ways uh, aside from uh winning the persona the roster construction and uh and of course just the the great level of play so um great segment we just did we should just package that on its own and get it that's out it. there but two, uh, two two things two things quickly present day before our guest um we're recording on Thursday this is going to come out Friday so This may happen already, but uh, Board of Governors, Player Association, they're looking at a 72-game schedule that would start December 22nd. I mean, for the Lakers and the Heat, that's only 10 weeks removed from the end of the finals. Um, By comparison, those 2019 Raptors had 19 weeks, so it's almost uh, half the time. Uh, What do you make of the turnaround? What are you hearing? What do you think will ultimately happen?
2: Well, ultimately, Eric, in this profession, we call professional sports. It comes down to business. This is a business decision that has to be made with the economic structure and the economic well-being of this league to continue to move forward through this pandemic. So everything that's going on in in the environment, so they have to play. And in working with the league, the union, media and television, I think the media is having an enormous impact on when the season can start. And if it needs to start during this time, during the holiday season, because of the opportunity to market and put content and create money during this time, the league has to listen listen, because right now, everyone is trying to do the very best they can because of these uncertain times that we're currently living in. So in saying all of that, the league and the union as we speak are meeting right now and I expect to have an announcement later today, no later than tomorrow of what took place in that meeting and to hear that potentially there will be a deal in place which there will be a start on December 22nd, which will make my other job as an agent incredibly difficult <laughs> to get players signed, yep. identify the team. And by the way, negotiate whatever the deal you can. And we don't even know the numbers of our collective bargaining agreement or anything. So in saying all of that, we probably should end there. And I should begin, begin to get on the phone to figure out what really happened in that meeting. But um, this is, This is, you know, everyone's trying to figure it out and give the NBA and the union credit. They're trying to figure it out like everyone else is and uh, do the best they can.
0: I'm going to double check that my Armstrong alerts are turned on for later. I look forward to that update. Um, Sixers add Daryl Morey, president of basketball operations. Your man Doc, of course, now, in Philly, uh, what do you think of the pairing, and what do you think now the um top priority is for next season that they're going to try to accomplish as far as that roster goes
2: well let's I, I look at it in from two perspectives one, I have the utmost respect for Doc Rivers as a coach, as a person, and what he has done and providing the leadership that's necessary for these young men that have an opportunity to play for him. Doc Rivers has been terrific for this league in many regards on and off the court, what he was able to do and navigate through all the things that happened out there in LA during that very difficult time and transition that they had. Doc Rivers stood in the fire and was able to lead them to come through that situation. And he consistently had this team playing at a high level. Now, did it get to the place where we all wanna get to and win a championship? No, but we all know that it's very difficult to, to do that. But Doc Rivers is always in the game. I think it's a terrific hire by the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm a huge Brett Brown fan as well, but I think Doc Rivers has the ability to move this organization forward. Now in saying that, I think he's, he, I think he is, I think when I say he, Doc Rivers is up against a very difficult situation because his two best players, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, have yet to figure out who and what they are. We know they are terrific individual talents, but neither one of them yet has shown the ability to lead alone. So my question is, what is he going to do so that they can play and complement each other's talent that will directly translate to winning. Because right now, they can get to the playoffs as is, but that's not good enough. We're looking at two potentially top 10 players in the NBA. When you look at their individual talent, they're very unique players. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. But one, Joel Embiid, we don't play the game from the inside out anymore what is he going to do with Joel Embiid? But is he, how is he going to have Joel Embiid in the condition necessary to be Joel Embiid that we've all come to say who he could be? And then what are we going to do with Ben Simmons? And to me, that's going to be the most interesting decision in Doc Rivers, literally, I think his coaching career. Because Ben Simmons is a very unique player. And here's why I say that. We've tried him at point guard. You know, he could probably play the two. He could probably play the three. He could play the four. And in some cases, he probably could play the five. But where is Doc Rivers going to settle with Ben Simmons' talent and allow Ben Simmons to be what he is? He is a player, like he's like Scottie Pippen in those guys. He he does a little bit of this. He does a little bit of that. And to watch how Doc Rivers is going to utilize Ben Simmons is to me is going to be the most fascinating thing he's done because whatever he does, I think will directly translate on the mental health of this organization moving forward because Ben Simmons to me is a player that should give you an advantage every single time he steps on the floor because of his ability, not because he's the best shooter or he's the best ball handler or he's the best pass, because he's perhaps one of the most versatile players in the NBA. And if you could move him around on the floor and allow him to be some nights to be a a four, some nights maybe he will play the point guard, some nights he will be a three, some nights maybe we'll go small ball. I think if you can take advantage of what he really brings which is his versatility, and I think Doc Rivers is, he's a basketball savant in in that regard, I think they could really be one of the elite teams. But I'm really fascinated to see what he's going to do with him because coaching as Scottie Pippen and playing alongside him, you couldn't just put him at the three. Scottie Pippen, you know, when I, when I look at what Phil Jackson was able to do, Scottie Pippen for us played point guard on offense. When we would play against the Pistons, he would guard Bill Lambeer and play the five. Mm-hmm. But then when we would play against Magic Johnson, he would guard <laughs> Magic Johnson. And then when we play against Larry Bird, he'd guard Larry Bird. He would guard, you know, Dominique Wilkins. So Scotty, just, you just move him around. I don't know what he is or what they do, but I do know that you have to take advantage of their versatility. So hopefully Doc Rivers will allow him to do that and to be the player that he is, because I don't think you can just put him in a box and ask him to be a score.
0: You know, you just got to move him around the floor. Yeah, there's no traditional uh, strategy move with him. He's, he's too versatile. He's too talented. Um, obviously, before he got hurt in the bubble, they were bringing him back, playing the four next to Embiid and next to Harris. And, you know, if you do that and you have the right combination of shooting and perimeter defense uh, side him – then I think that's a formula for success, but it can't just be, okay, Ben, you're doing this every night. I think, and as you said, with Scotty and matchups and role, and that's a great comparison, I think that's part of what Doc's got to figure out. So that's going to be really interesting in Philly. And uh, if we get this quick turnaround, we're going to be talking uh, a lot about this very soon, but let's pivot now to our guest. You know, we've got this interesting lull right now. We're waiting for the calendar to be finalized. But there's a team that regardless of the time of year, regardless if they're winning or losing, this team has emerged as always on the radar. So without further ado, our guest today covering the Pelicans for the Athletic, Will Guillory. Will, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. And uh, I think always on the radar is a a good way to put it because it seems like something's going on with this team at all times, no matter what.
2: You know, Will, uh, thank you for coming on today. And I just want to jump right into it because there's been so much happening down in New Orleans. New Orleans, however however you want to pronounce it. Uh, But I want to start with the trade of Anthony Davis and then take and kind of move with the progression. Now, what has happened from your point of view, you cover the team, what has happened since the trade And how has that impacted the team and the city?
1: Well, I think first of all, uh, they got this guy named Zion Williamson. I don't know if you heard of him. That was a pretty big deal to kind of, you know, lose a guy that, you know, arguably the best player in franchise history. And, you know, right as he leaves, this next phenom comes in. And I think he kind of changed the entire culture around the team. I think he got the excitement, you know, through the roof, you know, about the potential of what he can be, what the team can be in this new era and I think uh the part of it that a lot of people didn't expect was the pieces that came back in the Anthony Davis trade and how they made an immediate impact uh Brandon Ingram winning most improved player Lonzo Ball having you know the best season of his career so far in the NBA so I think uh people feel really good about where this team's at, where the young talent is at and kind of the, the foundation they're building, you know, with AD gone. It's just a matter of how fast these guys are going to progress, you know, with so many good teams in the West is crazy. You know, it seems like there's an, another playoff team added every year in the West. And, you know, it's just a matter of how soon are these guys going to be able to compete, you know, with the Luka Doncic's and the and Dame Lillard's of the world.
0: Will so much happening, new coach, Contracts coming up. Guys are going to need to get paid. Obviously, Zion high on that list. Brandon Ingram made quite a statement last year uh, coming over, as you just said, in the AD deal. Uh, He's a restricted free agent. So how do you see the team playing his next contract, knowing that also Lonzo Ball is going to be a decision to be made on him, and then obviously knowing uh, Zion will be coming up in in a couple of years?
1: Yeah, as far as BI goes, I mean, I heard – you know, basically throughout their entire year that it it was just a matter of time before they gave him his big contract. I think they feel really good about his fit with this team and the growth he showed last year as a shooter, as a guy who was willing to take on the responsibility of being that number one scorer the guy who has that kind of burden every night, I think they'd love his fit next to Zion. So I think he's going to get a huge contract and they're going to take care of that really quickly. Uh, I think the really interesting part of uh, what you asked is the Lonzo ball aspect, you know, he is extension eligible, you know, this off season. And I think he's such a unique player. and, And I think what he's done in his career is kind of so up and down that it's hard to see what that next contract is going to look like for Lonzo. But I do think they like, you know, uh, his fit next to Zion, especially. I think those guys kind of clicked immediately on and off the court. And you saw that with some of those half-court lobs and some of the fun stuff they were doing. And also, I think he made a big jump as a shooter as well. I think, you know, the long nights in the gym with Brandon Ingram, both of those guys showed a lot of improvement as shooters. So I think how they handle that situation is going to be really important. Because I think keeping the, the synergy at a locker room is a big question moving forward because you got a lot of young talent, but you can't pay everybody. So you got to make some tough decisions eventually. And how they manage that, I think, is going to be really important for David Griffin. You know, Will, it was a very
2: interesting hire with Stan Van Gundy, who is terrific. He has uh, been a friend of mine for many years. How do you think that's going to mesh his personality and what he brings to this young talent of how they play, they kind of play with this level of freedom um, of today's new player, new age. How do you think that's going to mesh with Stan Van Gundy's personality and the young personalities or the young group that, um, that this team has assembled there down in New Orleans?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be much different uh, than what they experienced with Alvin Gentry. I'm sure you guys know Alvin very well. He's a guy that gives his players that freedom and he wants them to run. He wants them to kind of make mistakes and learn from it on the go. And I think Stan Van Gundy is a guy who's going to be on them more often. He's going to be a more active coach day in and day in, out, pushing them to kind of kind of nailed down some of those little things that that came back to bite them so often last year finishing in fourth quarters you know staying consistent defensively staying consistent with your effort I think that's something we consistently saw in the past with Stan Van Gundy his team succeed with and I think those are the type of principles the Pelicans need to put in place because we know this team has talent we know they're going to be able to score we know what B.I. and Zion are going to be able to do from night to night it's a matter of finishing games and defending. And that's something that they really struggled with last year. And if they can show us some improvement in those two areas, I think we can start to see them climbing up in the standings. You know, but I I want to follow up with that. No one can deny that
2: under Alvin, that the young players have improved. I mean, Mm -hmm. B.I. became an an all-star. You look at uh, Lonzo Ball, what he was able to do. You look what Zion, when he's healthy, what he was able to do. No one can deny that these players were very productive. In your estimation, you watch this team every day. Is this team and is this group ready to win? Because you can have all of those things that you said. I, I agree with you. I think Coach Van Gundy is gonna be on him. I think he's going to try to change the culture defensively and so forth and so, so on. But is this group ready to win right now and accept that next step, which is is one thing to go out and play and improve. It's another thing to play winning basketball.
1: Yeah, I think you, obviously, you know this, BJ. I think a lot of it starts with your leaders. And I think looking at Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, what kind of standard do they set from the beginning of camp as far as committing defensively, as far as Zion, you know, making sure his body's right and making sure we're not having discussions about the health of his knee or his conditioning, or if he can play back-to-backs. I think if him and BI can come in from day one to start a camp and really show that they're locked in, I think the guys are going to be willing to follow because I think those guys are so talented and we saw what type of impact Zion was able to make immediately so I think if he comes back ready to play and locked in and I think both of them buy in immediately to what Stan Van Gundy is trying to sell I think the rest of those guys are going to follow and and the big thing for me I'm going to be looking at is are we going to see Zion make that same type of jump we saw from Luka this year because I think Luka we saw him putting up big numbers his rookie year having impressive games but he started to bring that winning mentality I think with Dallas more and I think you saw them make a real jump obviously and Porzingis help but I think Lucas mentality changed the the trajectory for Dallas and I think Zion is going to have to do the same thing with some of these guys
0: you know will you talk about uh, Zion taking the potential leap you talk about leadership and then you talk about the core and all of these things are intertwined and and a big name that's a part of that of course is uh, Drew Holiday and Mm -hmm. you know he's highly regarded terrific two-way player very well respected I I think overall very underrated and now we're hearing his name in trade rumors so um, is this due to fit is this due to clearing cap space is it a little of both what are you hearing on holiday but what do you also think is motivating it
1: Yeah, I wrote a little bit about this yesterday, and I think Drew's situation is so interesting because if we look in NBA history, guys in his particular situation right now, where we look at a guy 30 years old going into the last year of his contract, a a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, I think the obvious decision would be in most cases, well, you trade him and see what you can get, continue to build for the future. But I think with Drew, I think the relationship he's built with the city and with the franchise, I, I think is really strong. And when you talk to people, you know, throughout the fan base, man, they love Drew Holiday. They adore him. And I think especially after what happened with AD and the way Drew could have, you know, gone right out the door behind AD if he wanted to. And I think he he decided to do the opposite. He wanted to go all in and be with these young guys. He went to the front office last year and told them he didn't want to get traded at the trade deadline. And I think he's got a really interesting choice for his career now because Anthony Davis is one of his best friends in the league. And he just watched that guy go to the Lakers and win a championship. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, for for Drew to sit there and say, man, I saw that guy achieve his greatest goal. And now I'm sitting here at the crossroads of my career. Do I want to go through this grind with Zion and Brandon Ingram and see how far they can go? Or do I want to go to a situation where we can win right now? And I think uh, the big question uh, going forward is just his decision. Because I think the Pelicans are going to be willing to move him if he asks to be moved. But if he, he's willing to try it out, I think they love his fit with this team, and I think they love his presence in the locker room. So the big question going forward is: Does he want to take that long-term commitment with the Pelicans, or does he want to go to a Brooklyn or a Denver or Miami and try to make a run for a championship next year?
0: You know, David yeah, Griffin is very. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, BJ. Ahead. I was just going to say this is this is for for both of you to contemplate, and it's really interesting. Um, the Pelicans. I think if healthy, the way this roster is assembled with Holiday under contract another year, with Redick under contract another year, Zion healthy between Ingram and Holiday as far as, you know, the the quote-unquote stars and, and leaders of the team, I think the dilemma is go for it now with this group or do you patiently wait, move a player like Holiday for even more future assets of young talent and try to widen that window and be patient. So I, w- I would love BJ and, and, and will your takes on this uh, and to really examine, uh, what they could do, what they should do. And, and ultimately what do you think they will do?
1: Yeah. I'd love to hear what BJ has to say. Cause, uh, he knows a little bit about winning <laughs> you know, at I, a high I, level. I, I, froze, <laughs> I froze BJ with
0: my six. Yeah, you, you did. You to, know, to uh,
2: Will's know. the guess here, not me. Um, well, when I look at this roster, I, I look at two things. One, they have, they have to address the now, the immediate now, which is, in the end, we always talk about this buzzword, culture. And culture, what does culture mean? Well, culture is culture and until you can put something behind, which is winning. When you win, suddenly now the culture means something. We just don't know what it means, but we know it means something. Every team in the league is doing the same thing, but there's only one team that wins Final game of the season. So, in saying that, this group, the New Orleans Pelicans, they have a huge dilemma. One, they have young players that they're going to have to pay at some point. They're going to have to pay Lonzo Ball or make that decision. They're going to have to pay Brandon Ingram. They're going to have to pay Zion. But then Josh you have ha- Josh of Hart. Guys. They have a lot of young players that they're going to have to pay, which could be the future of this franchise. Then you have to figure out financially, is it feasible to keep these players that we're currently talking about? Drew Holiday, JJ Redick, and these players, because these players are ready to win now. So you are trying to wage or gauge the future and have a nice mixture of You know, when guys are ready to get paid, are they the future? And as far as getting back or saying, maybe these guys that we currently have, maybe they're not what we think they're going to be in the future. And you're trying to wage and evaluate that. So in between all of that, you're in the Western Conference, which to me is far superior right now as we speak than the Eastern Conference, because the New Orleans Pelicans on paper, they have a very good team. They have a lot of young talent. I think it's going to be very difficult for this team to try to do both in that market, try to hold on to a Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday will command a lot in return. And there are a lot of teams, especially teams who are right on the threshold of winning would really value him. And he can command a first round pick. He could command some things that really could address the financial situation down there in New Orleans to fit into what they're trying to do, not only on the court, but you know, David Griffin has to also manage this team and figure out financially. So I know that's a long answer, but I think it's a delicate balancing act that they're going to have to do. And the only way that they come out of this guys is if they can meet the expectations of what we think of this team. So any team with Zion, we're expecting to win. And if this team doesn't win, we'll be back here again saying, <laughs> this was a failure. I think all of this will, will, If you're asking me to just pinpoint it, all of this will come down to one thing. Is Zion ready to shoulder the responsibility of a star player? If the answer is yes, I think they move Drew Holiday immediately. If not, you're going to have to wait on him because that's a huge responsibility. And right now, we know he has the talent to do it, but physically, can he sustain this 82-game schedule and what that's going to command from a star player? That, to me is the million-dollar question.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And to build off your answer, I think the really tough thing I think David Griffin has to do is he kind of have to do both at the same time. I think he's right. going to have to try to make this team competitive in the present. And I think the fortunate thing for him is he does have those Lakers picks in the back of his pocket. So they're going to be able to maybe draft people down the line if they want to kind of start building younger, going to the future, or they can package those picks and go after somebody. They can go after a Bradley Bill or some other name that comes available in the future. If Zion shows he can get you uh, into the playoffs, get you to a second round, maybe the Pelicans look at themselves and say, hey, we want to be a player to to try to make a jump in the West right now. And we've got the assets to make it happen. So I think you got to be able to try to do a little bit of both. Uh, but I do think the big part of that question is what happens to Drew Holiday? Because I think if Drew's on this team, that's going to make them competitive right now. I think him as your third best player next to Brandon Ingram and Zion, I think they're going to be right around 45, 40 to 45 wins just because of those three guys. And I think it's just a matter of keeping everybody healthy and seeing, you know, how you feel about yourself once we get to the end of the season, because you got to make a decision with those picks at some point. And, and to be honest, I really don't see them, you know, drafting two people every other draft for the rest of the decade. You know, I think if you got a presence like Zion, like you said, you want to win with that guy. You don't put a, you don't sell a whole bunch of jerseys and make him one of the biggest stars in the league to have him be the 11th seed every year. You know, you want to get that guy in the playoffs playing against the biggest stars so you got to figure out a way to make that happen
2: you know we're not putting you on the spot who is Zion when he's healthy you see the talent you see the explosiveness he has star potential all over him he's electric he is a unique athlete but who is he because you have to be on the court to do that if for those who haven't watched him closely who do you think Zion's going to be when we talk about his career, 10, 12, 14 years, hopefully longer in his career?
1: Yeah, I think it's really lofty comparisons when we throw these type of names out there. But when I kind of watch him play, I look at it as like a kind of a, a crazy 2020 version of like a, a a Shaq type of player in the post and a Giannis guy on the perimeter. I think they want to make him look more like a Giannis because that fits into today's NBA, a guy who can you can isolate at the top of the key, surround him with shooters, allow him to break down the defense and either get to the paint or create those open threes. I think that's the way you win in 2020, and I think they're going to try to get him to that point. Uh, I think he still has some work to do as far as his ball handling, you know, seeing the entire court, you know, stuff you'd expect from a young guy. I think he's going to have to develop that. Obviously, his outside shot is going to have to improve. Uh, but I think he's – I mean, he's – incredible uh, as far as the way he's able to dominate in front of the rim, you know, at this age against grown men. I mean, I've seen him put his shoulder in a guy like Hassan Whiteside and move him. I <laughs> got like, you know, Stephen Adams and move him at 19 years old. And it's like, I'm seeing this that last year and I'm like, man, if he's doing this now, what do we expect to see when he's 23, 24 really able to get some summers under his belt and develop his body. Uh, but I think the big thing is, like you said, for one, his health, How those knees are going to hold up with his specific type of play, how explosive he is and all that weight he carries. And two, I think this, this offseason in particular, we're going to find out, you know, how committed is he to kind of eliminating the conversation about his condition, about his weight, about how many minutes he can play every night. Because you guys know this, the stars, the great, the greatest greats in this league, they get to that point by kind of overcoming these hurdles year in and year out. Of people saying, "Oh, you can't do this." Oh, you haven't been able to do that. And if the more you jump over those hurdles, the higher you get amongst your peers. And I think this is the first one for Zion Williamson is kind of, kind of proving everybody wrong who says, "Oh, well Zion's fat." Oh, well Zion can't play thirty minutes a game oh, well, you can't build an offense around a guy you can't depend on every night. And I think if he kind of takes that personally and comes back a different version of himself, I think we'll see where he's going next. And if not, I think he's going to have some real questions to answer.
0: Hey, well, you know, to your point, and it's funny, like I, I'm very excited about this team, both in the present and the future. I think one of the beautiful situ- beautiful things – is the situation that Zion is in. That offense does not have to be built around him mm-hmm. every night with the way this team is constructed. Um, but right now in the present, and, and you mentioned, you know, what the uh, potential for next season is with Zion, Ingram, Holiday all there. If things go right for this team and they keep this group together, at least for next season... What do you think their ceiling is as far as how far they can climb in the Western Conference? They're obviously not going to be a tier one team in the West like a Lakers, like I think now we all consider the Denver Nuggets. But are they a tier two team in the West? Are they fighting at the bottom of the playoff race? Where do you think this team could go if everything falls correctly for them next year and they don't make any drastic moves starting with moving Holiday?
1: Yeah, I think that top four in the West is pretty rock solid. When you look at L.A., L.A., uh, Houston, Denver, I think we could probably you know write those teams down as the top in the West probably right now, if everybody stays healthy. Uh, but I do think they could be right around six, seven. I think if everything goes right with this team, if Zion makes the jump, we expect him to make, I think they could be right there. Uh, it's going to be really difficult in the West. And I, I haven't even mentioned the go to state Warriors. I forgot all about them. So we could probably mark them down as the 15, yeah. you know, in the West. So I think it's going to be extremely tough in the West. Cause you know, you got teams like Portland, like Dallas, uh, you got Sacramento, you got, you know, so many teams, I think, who have playoff aspirations going in the next year. But I think if you've got, like I said before, if you got that foundation of Zion, Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, if you have all three of those guys healthy and playing at a high level. Uh, I think there's no reason why this team shouldn't consider themselves a serious playoff threat. And I think they can get up there to six, seven, you know, if everything goes right. Hmm.
0: I'm going to take Houston out of that top tier immediately. <laughs> immediately. Um, immediately, and, and yeah. that has and that has little to do with the Warriors. Uh, I think uh, return here. I just I, I see things in Houston uh, trending in the wrong direction, but uh, we will see. And you know what's crazy is like you know as obviously the most unprecedented season ever. And we are um, at a point now where we're going to potentially have this very tight off season window. The draft is uh, about two weeks away, less than two weeks away, I believe. Um, What are you thinking uh, for the draft for the Pelicans? Uh, They're at 13. Do you think they are drafting for need at that slot? Do you think they are looking to move that pick? What's uh, what's your gut feel there?
1: Um, I think they will be open to moving the pick. Uh, I think you know, like we said before, they they want to improve this roster as much as possible. And people aren't necessarily in love with this draft. Uh, I think specifically, if you're looking at certain positions, like the the Pelicans are going to need some help on the wing. I think if you look at this roster, they got a lot of guys six four and under. And I think they they got to get some more bigger wings. If you want to defend the Kawhi Leonard's, the LeBron James, the Michael Porter juniors of the world, I think you got to have those bigger guys on a perimeter. So I look at a guy like Sadiq Bay, I think is a guy they might be interested in or uh, Williams from Florida state. I think they got a, a couple guys who are going to be available right around that 13th mark. So I think they're going to try to wait it out and see it. And that's where I expect them to go is to get somebody who can, fit into that you know three and d mold we always look for and i think this draft in particular has a few guys that'll be in that range but you know it's such a weird year like you said with you know no real combine the workouts aren't what we're used to seeing so i think a lot of these big boards and mock drafts that we're seeing i think that we can we can throw them out the window because I, I don't really know what we're going to see on draft night who's going to be available uh but I do think as far as the Pelicans go, they've got to get some help on the wing. I think, you know, last year, I just remember watching games against the Lakers where you've got Drew Holiday guarding LeBron and he's just got no shot in that matchup. You know, as much as I love Drew as a defender, he can't defend a guy that big. And it's a lot to ask of a rookie, but I think you got to just have more bodies to throw at those type of guys if you want to be, you know, competitive in some of these playoff series.
2: You know, Will, before we let you go here, I just want a quick question. You know, we have the draft, free agency. Do you expect the the Pelicans to be active in the free agent market? And if so, what do you think they're looking for to complement and add to this group?
1: Yeah, I think once you knock out the Brandon Ingram contract, they're not really going to have much cap room. I think the mm-hmm. only thing that really happens. You expect is the that level. to get done, by the so way. Ahead, I mean. Yeah, I think that that? to be done really quick once free agency starts. I think they want to lock him down. And I don't think they want a situation we've seen in the past where some of these young guys don't get a contract with their team and then there's kind of this little awkwardness that hangs around in the air. So I think they want to knock that out, keep everybody happy and move forward. Uh So I think that'll be done quick. And I think uh they'll, at that point they only really have the mid-level to work with. And I, like I said before, I think they'll want to go after some of these bigger wings. Some of these guys with a little bit more experience. And I think they also have to answer the question at center. If you decide to move right. on from Derek Favors, then you're probably using that mid-level to go sign a starting center. And there aren't really a lot available, especially guys who want to take the mid-level. So I, I think – them re-signing Derek Favors is probably more likely now, especially with the small window you have before the start of the season. But but yeah, I do think they're going to be aggressive with that mid-level. But it, uh, again, a lot of teams are only going to have the mid-level. So if you're competing with the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Rockets, I think some of those older guys are probably going that direction before they sign with the Pelicans. But they'll try to get involved with these guys as much as possible because we certainly didn't see them signing, you know, JJ Redick last year. Uh, so I think. David Griffin has proven he can kind of sell himself and his team to these older veterans, so he I, he'll try to pull it off again this. Uh, I was gonna say this summer, but this offseason.
0: Hey, Will. One thing I forgot to ask, and you reminded me of it with uh, the favors mentioned, is uh, I happen to be really excited about the talent uh, that Jackson Hayes is, and I love mm-hmm. his fit with Ingram and Zion. I know last year when Favors was out, he had some some good outings, some productive minutes, but it seemed like his consistency challenges were when he was coming off the bench. What's the vibe on him? How's the organization looking at him? And do you think he could emerge to potentially start if they don't want to pay favors, the money he's looking for?
1: Yeah, they were really excited about Jackson, you know, at the end of last season, I think they went into the year. I had multiple people tell me that they wanted to use that as a red shirt year for him. They wanted to kind of develop him. I had somebody before the season tell me we'll see him in a G league more than we see him in the NBA. And then once the season starts, you know, Derek favors goes down and all of a sudden Jackson Hayes is starting for a big chunk of the first half of the season. So I think he did a really good job trying to uh, kind of adjusting to that role, having so much on his shoulders and you've seen the guy, I mean, he's skinny as a rail out there and he's out there, you know, boxing out Steven Adams and Nikola Jokic. So I think that's a struggle for him. And that's why I think, you know, he's still probably a year or two away from being a starting center, because I think rebounding is a challenge for him, uh, staying out of foul trouble at times is a challenge. But I think they love the talent and they, and they love, you know, his mentality and how he kind of grew from night to night and was able to learn from his mistakes. And I think that's really important at the center position because the game moves so fast now. And I think you've got to be able to read the game quickly. And I think he, he's shown he can do that to a certain extent, but he's still got some room to grow. And I think at some point they want to extend him out to the three-point line a little bit. Obviously, we know Zion, you know, is going to live, you know, under the rim for the most part. So they want a guy who can maybe knock down a three, maybe pass a little bit from the elbows. And I think the more Jackson can kind of improve in those areas, the more we'll see him on the court.
0: Looking forward to seeing his development. Uh, as much as we love talking hoops, we know you guys had a uh, had a hurricane down there last week. How's everything doing uh, for the city and, and for you personally?
1: Yeah, we're doing well. Uh, it was a wild night. Uh, it was I, I've never experienced a hurricane that like was over in like three and a half hours. <laughs> it was in and out. Wow. It was like crazy winds. Uh, the power went out uh, almost immediately. But then I was one of the lucky ones. I got it back that night. Uh, I had a bunch of people. I know it took about three or four days for them to get their power back. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't too much damage. A couple of trees knocked down. But, man, it was a struggle. I, I, I don't know if we were supposed to reveal this, but we were supposed to actually do this last week. And because of the hurricane, you know, I didn't have any Wi-Fi. The internet right. was crazy down here. My phone was looking like I was running on AOL or something. It was moving so slow. <laughs> so,
2: uh,
1: I'm just happy to, to finally be able to check my Twitter like I normally do and, and kind of see all the stuff that I'm used to seeing. But, yeah, it wasn't too bad. So we, we lucked out. Hey, it's been a wild hurricane season for us down here for sure. Beautiful.
2: Beautiful. You guys stay 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 safe down there, and uh, it's uh, I've never been in a hurricane, and it's it's an amazing amazing thing from all my friends who live down in in that region. So you guys stay safe, and uh, we're thinking of you guys.
1: Yes, yeah, why? We I tell everybody, you know, we're so used to it down here. We do hurricane parties whenever we know hurricanes coming. You know, go <laughs> you know, get some drinks, you get the cards, you get some friends, and you just you rock out and wait for the power to come back on. So we used to it down here. It's just the water. We can deal with the winds. It's just when the water starts coming in, that's when we got some problems.
0: Well, glad everything is okay. Appreciate you rescheduling with us, and uh, this was great, man. We're gonna have to uh, make this uh, part of the rotation. Track the Pelicans, and uh, looking forward to the next time we chat. Thanks, Will.
1: Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to talking some more Lil Wayne with uh, BJ whenever. He oh wants to yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Let's do that. <laughs>
2: let's, let's do that. <laughs> get into it. Get into it. <laughs> All right.
0: But, so BJ, that was great. Uh, we definitely got to get Will in the mix more. So I've got, a, I've got a, I've got an important basketball question for you, and I know you're gonna chuckle, but it's a, it's a It's a piece of information about myself and it's also a question. So Stan Van Gundy, who I think we're gonna be talking about even more often, who by the way is an incredible follow on Twitter and hopefully he keeps tweeting uh, even though now he's uh, gone back to coaching from TV. So Stan Van Gundy coached my high school coach in college and had a huge impact on him. And then I coached under my high school coach early in my career. So does that mean I'm officially part of the Van Gundy coaching tree or am I reaching?
2: Yes, you are. You are part of the Van Gundy coaching tree, but we got to get rid of the, the, the headband. I don't think coach Van Gundy would, (laughs) would approve of the headband. (laughs) I think Jeff would. What? No, Jeff wouldn't approve of it either. Jeff, these guys are old school. They're running offense every time down the court. You know, you're, yeah.
0: you're, 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 you So what does my headband have to do with running offense? It?
2: It's not part, of, it's not old school. It's not tradition. It's not okay. traditional. You're, you're, you, you look like the, the young guys, you know, you're rebellious. You got the headband, you got the hair going. Well, one of us has it, to be. Well, you know, you're you're new school. You're not you're not old school. You're bucking the system. You're bucking the tradition. You know, you okay. you're you're wearing okay. your shorts long. You're you know you are that too. That too. Yes, you that's
0: are. You. Okay.
1: All right.
0: Well, that's good news. So we'll think about the headband. It you know the forty two year old hairline is in an interesting place. So the headband has always <laughs> yeah. been part of my persona. And uh, it was actually, when I first introduced the headband years ago, it was an ode to the old school because of guys wearing the headbands in the, in the, in the 70s and the 80s. But, but I digress. Um, I have to pass on the word that I'm officially part of the Van Gundy coaching tree. You made my day. And um, I'm glad we're back in a rhythm here, buddy. So good, uh, good stuff today. I hope you have a good weekend. Um, What's the, uh, while well, I see the logo on your chest, what's the status right now of your Detroit Lions? And uh, are you checked out yet on the season? You
2: know, I'm, I'm going to always defend my Detroit Lions because if you, are, if you are a true Detroit Lions fan, hear me and hear me well. If you are a true fan of the Lions, you're the only one that's allowed to st- to speak on behalf of the Lions because the true fans have been there. You know, every, some people are bandwagon fans. Some people jump on when things are going good. They jump off when they're bad. I got my Detroit Lions shirt on. It's been on for 53 years. Now.
0: Proud and unapologetic
2: unapologetic is a great word for true Lion fans, because this is what we do. This is what we do. Now, we don't allow other people outside of the lion's den to talk about us. We are the only ones that's allowed to criticize our team, our group, our guys.
0: Okay. Well, I was, I was reaching week. out. I was reaching out from the dog pound to see how things were going in the. Yeah, line. We, we 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 we're good. We're there.
2: We're figuring things out, and we'll see you guys next week. That's what we do. We show up. We show up every week. Okay. Now we're going to get it together, in this lifetime. I might <laughs> add. <laughs> I don't know when, but we're going to get it together. As my dad will say, son, I thought I raised you better than that. Why do I continue to be a Lions fan? Well, this is what we do. This is how we work up there. And we're just trying to figure it out. But I can't allow anyone outside of that. You're not a Lions fan. You're you're probably a Patriots fan. What's going on with your Patriots right now?
0: No, I'm a Browns fan. We've been over this. I'm a tortured Browns fan. And when they moved to Baltimore and came back, I said, I'm not going to get emotionally invested in this because – this is a joke and they've continued <laughs> to sing. So people from like growing up, whenever there's Browns news, they throw me texts and messages and I pretend I'm following it. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun seeing that they're five and three. And I tried to, you know, I filmed a bunch of stuff with Dixon and Minifield a couple of years ago to tell the story of the dog pound, but I couldn't get it to go anywhere. But as far as having a, a vested interest in, Uh, having a moment of stress about the Cleveland Browns football, it it doesn't exist. And I got to be honest, it's a great place to be because it's all upside. If they win great Browns win, they're five and three. They may sniff the playoffs this year. If they lose, well, that's what we expected. That's the Cleveland Browns. But from a pre move standpoint growing up, similar to how you feel about the lions, I love the Browns. Those, those teams in the eighties were, a big part of my childhood, and my father randomly picked them uh, when he was a kid, and I uh, have great Sunday memories watching Browns games. In look, at that this. Old stadium
2: look at this, look at that, look at that yeah. logo, Honolulu no. Blue, look at that.
0: Honolulu.
2: Look at that, that's what we call it, that's what we call it.
0: Uh, on that note, Honolulu Blue, amazing, we'll close there. Um, Special thanks, as always, producer Mike Lieber, the one and only only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops media team. Check out the Mike Wise Show. Drops each and every Monday. John Fanta talking college hoops each Tuesday with his new co-host Jenny Fisher. Full Court Press. Uh, Catch and Shoot 2.0. Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drop it each Wednesday. Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure bring you buckets, boards, and blocks. Fridays, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Please check out all of our shows. Subscribe, download, rate, review. Most importantly, share and enjoy. See you next week. Pure Hoops podcast. Stay healthy. Stay sane. Stay pure.
1: The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.